Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with the two with two O's. See? How's that? Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. You're going to get some masturbation. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye-bye Saturday night. Good. You're listening live in Tokyo. Good morning, everybody. It's TalkCast 214. Tonight, we are finally pained in the over-medicated world. I'm Ned Dillon, deep in Area 51, on the sub-level line, True South Crossway, next to the John Rice Davies School of Retrophobotomy. Joining the TalkCast tonight, our usual suspects, in the Revere Time Vortex, violent soundboard vixen, president of technicalness, Sometimes level-headed, occasionally awesome, potentially acerbic. She put the cat in Katniss and is never letting go of it. It's Kriana. I've got Katniss by the tail, if you know what I mean. Ooh. Sounds like fun to me. From the stacks of her personal silent zone in the dank dungeon reading room, when she remembers to unmute herself, she can be quite interesting or verbose, but never both. The personal assistant to Jeffrey Peterson, friend of robots everywhere, Sombrarian. I don't know if I want to be robot friend tonight now that we've all Googled Transformer porn before the show. <laughs> we haven't gotten two minutes into it, and now we're back to that. Um, <laughs> our listeners need to know how we pre-show. Oh. We're all highly disturbed. Oh, oh boy. From the four-color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, our ginger know the woman best remembered as the understudy for Blanche Dubois in the zombie version of Tennessee Williams' Dead Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, our very unreanimated body double, it's the dead redhead. Should we talk about zombie porn? No. Body parts? Absolutely no. 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 Fine. Absolutely not. Our guest tonight... From the fantastic robot god Akamatsu, James Biggie and Frankie B. Washington. Gentlemen, welcome back. Hey. Happy New Year. It is a new year, and this is actually our first show of the new year, isn't it? Yeah, it is, isn't it? I guess it is. I don't know. I lost track of time. Um, I've been traumatized beyond belief. This is a pre-show chatter, if nothing else. So, uh, you know, we've been off for a couple of weeks. Um, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, uh, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Feliz Nabi, blah, 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 whatever, and, and Happy New Year. And uh, now that we're back, finally stuff is starting to happen again in the world. Uh, in the second half of the show, we're going to be talking to uh, Frankie and James about what's new with Robot God Akamatsu and why they lived through what may have been the smallest earthquake in the universe. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, what's been going on this week in science fiction? Let's start out with a couple of things from uh, our some of our favorite cons around New England. Boston Comic Con made some announcements this week. Uh, 
first one that they made is that uh, Evie Miles, James Barsters are going to be there, and Jason Momoa from Game of Thrones is going to be there as well. Oh, James Marsters, you're mine now. Jason Momoa was also, more importantly, in Stargate Atlantis. <laughs> well, they, you may want to talk to the people at Boston about that. He's also going to be in uh, the Batman vs. Superman movie, too. Correct. He is, indeed. But we all know Stargate was the pinnacle of his career. <laughs> And of course, with Evie Miles and James Marsters, we will have, in fact, two people who have kissed whom? Captain Jack Harkness. Not Yanto. Captain Jack Harkness, correct. <laughs> Think about the space herpes he can share. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. And we're back to four. <laughs> It's the, it's the topic tonight. Evidently, somehow this has happened. We're not sure how or why. We just know that it did. And at Rhode Island Comic Con, which is uh, coming up in November, they just announced uh, John Rice Davies from Lord of the Rings and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, and they're about to announce some other ones coming up in the near future. So... We'll talk about that. By the way, uh, for those of you who are worried about it, again this year at Rhode Island Comic Con, you will be able to be legally married. Okay. Everybody or? Well, whoever wants to. One great big mass wedding or? If you, it, it, yeah, it could be like one of those, one of those Korean weddings, but probably not. <laughs> Frankie, I think it's time for us. Nice. It's a new year. That's right. Go for it. Kriana. What? We want to talk about uh, one of our guests. Uh, Rusty? Rob Smith's book. Oh. Well, did you talk about John Reese Davies? Just did. Were you, not, were you asleep for that? Yeah. Okay. I, I was distracted by um, something shiny. Ah, uh, something technical. Uh, um, yes. So Rob came on to talk about his book, Dead of Winter, but unfortunately, there were some production delays. He didn't actually know when it was going to be out. So I got an email the other day saying, Hey, uh, um, I it's found out. out by searching on Amazon that it's out. <laughs> and I was like, you poor baby. So you can find it on Amazon. Um, if you'd like. You can also get PDFs, EPUBs, and other formats through a service called Ganksy. So That's odd. Ganksy. You're gonna you're gonna wanna read that. Yeah, it sounded really cool. Zombrarian yeah. loaded onto your new Kindle. I'm going to Zombrarian got a new Kindle? It did. Patience. That's why I have no news this week because I was like, forget all of you. <laughs> Kindle Kriana is angling for a new iPad Mini in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, but geez. Kindle connects to Goodreads, and I'll see you all in the summer when I come up for air. Thought <laughs> <laughs> you were gonna say I'll see you all in hell, okay. or there, whichever comes first. Speaking of hell. Speaking of hell, did hell freeze over this week? Speaking of hell, didn't you say um, Shepherd Mark Shepherd was gonna also be at a con? Mark Shepard. Crowley? 
Crowley. Where did I see that? I think I did see that somewhere. Hold on. Sorry, you said hell, and then I thought about supernatural, and then never mind. We're, we're gonna get back to fandom porn if I keep going. Yeah, we are, and let's not do that. Anyway, hell. <laughs> um, hell did freeze over. Okay. Hell, Michigan. That is, and with the the vortex of ice or whatever they're calling this the Arctic vortex the Arctic vortex um, apparently this big lake in Hell, Michigan actually did freeze over which begs the question how many people have to make good on promises they never thought they had to I, I feel like if Hell is in Michigan it must freeze over a lot though <laughs> you would think that but apparently this is not a warm place in the winter no. It is not. That is correct. Well, it's very rare that the Great Lakes and, and the Hell Lake freezes over. And also, a fun story, in Dante's Inferno, the final level of Hell is ice. It is ice. So, it could I be think Michigan. Is wrong. Yeah, it could be Michigan, absolutely. Karana, you were right, actually. Mark Shepard is going to be at uh, Rhode Island Comic Con. He can sign my other boob. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get married at Rhode Island Comic Con. That's right. You can get married to Mark Shepard. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you could get married to your boob, but I won't. <laughs> he, can, he can marry my boob if that's what he wants. That's, that's okay with me. I mean, my my on boob it. has rights. Oh, don't go there, James. James, no. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> How else, James? Good Lord. <laughs> what have we? What have we dropped ourselves into? Uh, a pool of leaked lubricant. Oh. <laughs> On that note, let's talk about Disney. Bleeding. <laughs> uh, nice segue. <laughs> Best segue ever. Yes. Are they going to talk about the uh, the Disney Princess lingerie that was just released in Japan? No. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> now I need to find a link to that news story, obviously. <laughs> Hang on, I think. Hang on, I might have this one. Yes, our minds are in the gutter. Jason, we start judging you right now. It's a thing, I think what we're going to talk about is why. Oh, good God, it actually is there. <laughs> oh, crap. I know. You guys are fast. Disney has appointed a, a group to determine what of all the different Star Wars branches that occurred is actually going to be official canon. And yeah, I, I would like to say okay. that unlike Star Trek, there aren't actually branches of Star Wars. The, the Star Trek books are all fairly self-contained. You had to put the characters back where you found them when you were done. Right. That's why. That's why the Star Trek canon is very strict, and that's why we. Yeah, I, I would argue that it's not, but that's another conversation entirely. The Star Wars universes. That was not the case, though. Each book had to be consistent with every other book, and you know. Luke Skywalker gets married. Lots of things happen. There's that like last series that happened, and Chewbacca died or something. But that's when I stopped reading. Mm -hmm. um, there was Wookiee porn. Yeah. Right. Stop! 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 No! No, we're not going there. 
totally not going there. So... So then what's the point of this? There are some ridiculously horrible pieces of, and I say this loosely, literature in in this whole Star Wars series. But overall, it's a very awesome... Awesome. Especially the earlier stuff. Oh, definitely. Awesome. Um, sort of thing. And Disney's going to retcon it because they can. And that's not cool. And it's not going to go over well with lots. I, I'm going to be out there screaming at the kids to get off my fucking lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and when Kriana does it, you know it's really affected her. Because she's the one who's usually stomping on your lawn. Yep. I, I stomped on your petunias. <laughs> Is that code? <laughs> and your rose bushes. <laughs> hey, and that is code. Hey, guys. Yo. Did you guys remember? Did you read anything about that whole Wonder Woman thing? And, and for the oh, did you wake yeah. up? We try not to mention Wonder Woman on this show because yes. Dead Redhead does that. Yes, but what's the, any thoughts on that whole thing where she might be um, Kryptonian or something? Or? Oh. It was a total throwaway statement that the guy um, who runs Batman on film said. It was just a, a theory he had. Oh really? And okay. It kind of it kind of blew up on him. Well, that- needs to go back into whatever recess of a brain that he has. Well, do you think that they're going to introduce mythology? Like the, the myth, not mythology. Yeah, mythology. Like that magic into the uh, new man of steel or I'm still wanted to be... You know, the new man of steel can't be any worse than the last one was. And the last one was pathetic. Oh, there. Easy, easy. I'm good saying that Man of Steel may have been the worst movie since Superman 3. No. Absolutely. No. Okay. (laughs) Frankie, I'll put it to you in one sentence. Okay. When Superman kills someone, where is his honor? But you, you do understand that he wasn't Superman, right? What do you mean he wasn't Superman? He, that's why they called him Man of Steel. He wasn't. He was not Superman. He's not Superman yet. He's going to become Superman in the next movie. Oh, sorry. I'm serious. Oh. I'm, 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 I'm telling you, he you know, that whole movie. He's a, he's just a man who finds out that he's Kryptonian, and he pretty much he doesn't have that the whole thing of like the morals or whatever that Superman has until after everything he went he went through in that movie. With all the death and people dying and all that stuff, then that's going to be the thing that's going to instill the whole Superman, whatever. I bet you that's, that's my feeling Frankie, about it. Frankie, listen. Oh. <laughs> Smallville <laughs> didn't even have him kill anyone, okay? I'll tell you that show didn't bend down to, to scrape one more piece of shoe, come off someone's shoe. That, come on. So, but they but they call the movie Man of Steel. It's not it's not Superman. I don't know. I'm not. I like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually see the movie. Like, I'm going by what X told me. But they're know. like Frank. You know what? We brought you in here to talk about Robot God Akamatsu and robots. <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't even going to go to the Wonder Woman thing and so oh, somebody asked me. Wonder you Wonder brought it up, Frank. Hey, I love Wonder Woman. That's why I'm saying that's the problem. Yeah, I love every Wonder time they, Every time they try to do it, 
They fail miserably. They screw that character up so much. Yeah. Oh I'm my a- god. I, don't, I, just, I just think that D, uh, uh, was a Warner Brothers. See, I keep saying DC, but Warner Brothers owns DC, so Warner Brothers is pretty much trying to catch up to Marvel. Yeah. See, Marvel already planned to see years ago in books like Universe X and and then uh, what was it? Uh, the other one, Ultimates. So Marvel already planted the seeds. The seeds already laid down for their cinematic universe. Right. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, but Ultimates aren't necessarily in the same canon. That's what it has been explained to me. Well, no, the Ultimates, some of the things, some of the parts of Ultimates is connected to the cinema universe. I mean, the whole idea of Black Fury, that whole thing, the the reason like Thor, how they kind of eliminated the fact of him becoming Donald Blake, and then they kind of connected some of the Universe X stuff where they're saying that the uh, Asgardians are alien, which was kind of somewhat in the Jack Kirby stuff, too. We really didn't kind of, you know, define them that they were actually myth- mythological, like, um, you know, gods and stuff. But I mean, the thing is, is that um, uh, DC has a, pro- their issue now is that they're kind of backpedaling, not backpedaling, but they're kind of, you know, lagging behind Marvel in the sense that they, they, they're they like, well, maybe we should try to use science or whatever to explain everything with their characters. And it's like, I, I, I disagree with that. I think they should go with myth- mythology. I think they should, they should go really crazy with some of their characters. Just to kind of step away from the, the whole Marvel thing. But <laughs> the other thing with Marvel is that Marvel has had a precedence where they don't mind some of that. Look at what they've done to, to X-Men. I've been so confused sometimes That's about what they do with that's the... Not Marvel. Marvel is at X-Men? No, Marvel... No, that's... Marvel... Marvel doesn't own the rights to... Well... Fox? No, no, hear me out. Hear me out. What yeah. I'm saying is that Marvel has kind of given its blessing that all the different forms of the X-Men has been, they've been, okay, you can do that, and you can do that, and there's been some very, very different presentations of the characters, whether it's the cartoon, whether it's the movies, whether it's the comics, and they've allowed that to happen. Well, I don't know if they really allowed it. Most of the time, many times it doesn't. Yeah, you know, some you know, but Marvel also makes really good movies right now. Yeah, but Marvel, Marvel, whatever conglomerate you want to call them, they're making really good movies. DC stuff is sucking. Well, here's the, what I'm saying. Well, here's the thing: people think that Marvel has a lot of say in this in the properties that they've loaned out. The thing about properties is that things people, like Sony owns Spider-Man. Marvel pretty much doesn't have a lot of say. I mean, they get paid just because of the fact that the name of the character, whatever. I mean, a lot of those. License that that happened happened way before. This is when Marvel's having a lot of problems and stuff right. like that. Yeah. So I where Marvel's making their money right now is with Disney. Yeah, with Disney, exactly. But, but I mean, the, the stuff that they loaned out, X Men uh, yeah. to Fox and the rest of them, they have absolutely no control over. Exactly. There you go. Disney it's, owns Marvel now. Right. Yeah, but see, Disney's smart in, in allowing Marvel Studios. See, again, Disney is very smart at allowing Marvel Studios just to do what they do. So they're like Pixar. They're like, okay, well, we, we know we have a part. Well, I think they, they don't have Pixar God, anymore. I hate Pixar. But, 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 whoa. But, but when they have Pixar. <laughs> <laughs> Stop me right there. Um, when, they, when they had Pixar, they kind of let Pixar do their thing. And then they kind of said, okay, well, you do your thing, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get the cash from it. So that's why Pixar was able to put out some amazing things, like the, you know, the, uh, the Incredibles and other stuff like that. Yeah. So. It's kind of like what they do in Marvel. Like they're sitting back going, okay, you guys know your stuff, do your thing, and then we'll just reap the rewards of, a, you know, of what happens, which is smart. 
Right. You know, by the way, when you need cash, where the cow you come to? Yeah, amen. <laughs> Absolutely. But whoever owns DC right now, who is that? Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. They don't have a clue. This right. stuff is being hard, but they're also doing it in the comics. I mean, the comics, the stuff they're doing, like, that, uh, and we'll go into the whole thing again, but we all have talked at nauseam about the whole Harley debacle and right. Simile and the that woman and, and the, well, the whole Rule 52 deal, that whole thing. I mean, they've been doing stuff that is so crappy, and one of the and what they're doing with Superman, and what they have done to Wonder Woman ever since. I'm sorry, but ever since Linda Carter went off the air, other than you know the stuff that has been written by George Perez, yes, yes. you know it's Preach not it. good. They just screwed this character over so bad. I'll, I'll be on, I'll admit I have not read anything. I will screw her over so bad. So oh, I, I, haven't read, I haven't read anything over so, and over. The John Byrne stuff and some of the John Byrne. I haven't read any of the anything. <laughs> really. which, and there's been some bad stuff out there. Really yeah. bad. Even right now, what they tried to do, bringing the mythology back into it, yeah. they tried, but it was such in a weird way that it just didn't work. I just get right, I'm going to step into it now and say that I've actually been enjoying the new 52 Wonder Woman. Oh, oh there you go. Yeah, I just finished volume three. Uh, I couldn't do it. Well, what bothers me about the whole, uh, well, DC, DC Comics is the fact that they said they have this in order to the difficulty of writing strong female characters. That's what cues me when, when statements yeah. like that sort of come out. It's like, okay, now you got a guy like Joss Whedon, who to me has made the Black Widow into a character I want to see in a whole movie. Like when I see when I see Black Widow, I'm going, "Wow, man! You know, dude, I love the you know love the character back in the day." But to me, in the hands of somebody who understands how to do women female characters, characters, yeah, it can be it, it can be amazing. But it's like when you put it in the hands of somebody who has no clue, then of course it's not going to do well. And Wonder Woman should be on the same level like Thor, in my opinion, like the way yes. Thor was. Yep. You know what I mean? Like the way Thor. Oh, you see, interesting. Thor Thor had a a. Uh, a female uh, compatriot. I can't remember what her name is. Yeah. Yeah, she actually showed up in the movie. Yes, yeah, very briefly. Sir, sir. Yeah. And she was supposed to be a big part of that movie. And it all ended up on the cutting room floor. Oh, and they, okay. they've been talking about bringing it back in either an extended cut nice. or spinning it. I did. Well, what about the scene with the mother? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I saw that, I wanted to see Wonder Woman so bad. Yeah. I was like, that's Queen Apollo right there. Yeah. She was all fighting. I wish she was fighting. I was like, yes! That's cool. My favorite part about that Thor 2 is how she was the one who taught Loki his, you know, doubling trick. Yes! <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was my favorite part. we're discussing this. We're like, that is what Wonder Woman should be a character that they can use to be like, hey, young female readers, isn't this a great character that you can relate to and that you want to get into comics by reading Wonder Woman? Oh, and that's completely not even where they're thinking. Girls don't read comics. Yeah, so you're asking for a lot, unfortunately. Some of the, because the people, that's their thought. That you're probably just looking and going, well, Wonder Woman is just kind of psychic. Side I'm just saying, that's not my opinion. But this is the opinion of individuals in power. It, who, it seems to me like they can't look at her as an equal. Like to me, I, I, I can see one of them kicking the crap out of Superman. Yeah, 
I can't. Help. She's a warrior. She's a warrior, and she has mystical items. And Sudan has an affinity to magic, and you know, I'm like, she's an equal. She's up there with him. Like she can battle him out, man. And it's well, like, well, no. Here's the cycle, though. Here's the cycle. Say you you find your data. Women don't spend as much money on comic books. Yep. So then you say, my target demographic is males. Let me do everything that males like and actually work really hard to make women uncomfortable with buying our product. Yeah, and then you commission another research and you're like, damn, women don't buy comics. That's right. That's, that's right. Well, but, but think about this, Frankie, too. Remember the whole thing where Wonder Woman killed... Um, I'm not going to remember his name. Ted Cord. Not, not Ted Cord. Um, Maxwell's... Um, what do you call it? Maxwell Moore. He had it coming. Yeah. Right. She had to. And yet everybody's like, oh, Wonder Woman is horrible. She killed somebody. She's an Amazon for God's Warrior. sake. It's what yeah, they she, do. She was killing people in uh, the George Perez run. Yes, she was. Cutting, cutting creatures' heads off with a tiara. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's weird that we can't see a str- strong female characters unless... Unless there is some kind of sexual position and, you know, some laying... Or just into an unnatural position. Yeah, I hate that. I'm not a big fan of that, man. Jeez. All right, so let me... I'm going to add one little thing to that. Um, so my son is going to be turning five this weekend, and he's obviously into a lot of the same stuff I am, you know, superheroes in particular. But whenever, you know, I got him to Justice League, start with all the new... You know, unfortunately, it's new 52 versions of the suits. Um, but whenever we're playing, and he likes to play Wonder Woman, you know, I always say Wonder Woman's just as strong, if not stronger, than Superman. So I kind of want him to be positioned that when he gets older, he sees, you know, all the female superheroes as just, you know, as the, the male superheroes, equals or betters. Yep. You know, I don't want him looking at Wonder Woman thinking, oh, you know, she's just a um, good looking lady in a song. You know, because that's not what one woman is. Which is how it should be. But, it is. It looks but. Well, yeah. It, but it, it is. The two yeah. did the Catwoman. Oh. I mean, it's tough to get I'm not a big fan of design. So. Uh, I because I, I, again, I don't understand why Superman's costume has those weird, funky things on it. It's like, why do you need all that complicated stuff? Yeah. Because it can't look the way it used to, or they'll get sued again. Just, just like those stories. <laughs> well, that would be helpful, don't you think? Yeah, I know. Just write these stories, and you know, and then that's it. You know, but I don't know. It's just it seems very complicated and hard to do. I suppose. So, hey, listen. Let, let me. I want to turn things over just a little bit and move to something else. If the name Rob Granito sounds familiar to yes. you, yes. As, as one of the best scam artists to uh, hang around for an awful I was going to say, who the hell is that? Yeah. Rob, Granito, Rob Granito, uh basically stole artwork from some of the best artists around mm-hmm. uh, and made it his own by doing absolutely nothing but signing his name to it, essentially. And he was selling it at cons at incredibly cut-rate prices and uh, until he got caught uh, about two yeah. years ago. And they tossed him out of every con, and uh, I guess he's working as a busboy now. Well, now Canada has their very own Rob Granito, <laughs> and uh, it is called uh, Lost Droids Artist. They don't even use the guy's name. His name, however, is Dan. Okay. And he was uh, he was at a can con- uh, blah, 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 a at the Edmonton Pop Expo in September. 
and they noticed that he had uh, a, a painting of Batman that was the same Batman that was on the uh, the Wii game. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the yes. Deadpool picture that was ripped directly from the pages of the comic. Yeah. And the Iron Man that we couldn't figure out where it was until we realized that it came out of the movie. Wow. The, uh, the, the poster of Iron Man that, uh, that he holds up of himself. Yeah. Uh, his Facebook seems to read like this. Uh, the intro there read, Dan, if that is in fact his real name, <clears throat> says, what am I all about? Well, I base my work on commission requests. What does that mean? Basically, if you ever wanted a painting of blank but didn't know where to get it, you could commission me to redo it for you. Which is kind of insane. Um, yeah. So basically, uh, Bleeding Cool has this whole article of, oh, here it is, here's where it came from, here it is, here's where it came from. Everybody likes a picture of Superman, especially this copy of the Alex Ross painting. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oops. That sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, it's got to be a lawsuit. Jeez, I hope so, because uh, this son of a bitch has just done some disgusting stuff. Uh, so, if you are at a con and you see lost droid arts, uh, please just turn the other way, because he's stealing people's work. Wow. I, I just always find it amazing that if you go to, if you go to any artist's um, booth or whatever, and the art is so drastically different... I mean, because I mean, we all artists, we, we have a style. I mean, even if I drew my stuff, I tried to draw like Jim Lee, it would still look like me. You know, it's, it's like I couldn't, there's just, you, you, you know what I mean? It just, it, there's no way that I could draw like Jim Lee or Jack Kirby. Like, I remember there was, a, there was an artist, I forgot his name, he used to work for Marvel, and they said he was kind of close to Jack Kirby, trying to get the Jack Kirby kind of feel. Mm -hmm. I, 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 can't think, I can't think of his name, but, um, but it still, it was his work. Like, it, didn't, it wasn't Jack. He could not emulate Jack Kirby. So if he saw somebody draw like that, or draw, like, supposedly characters, and he just has a bunch of, you know, different variations of it, that's a little, uh, that gets a little iffy, you know? Those these aren't even variations. These are just scam fucking Wait, copies. Exactly, exactly. It look kind of like if he's a, you see one drawing looks like Alex Ross, another one looks like uh, Darwin Cook. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you go, okay, all right, um, all right. So yeah, you know, it is. It's 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 breeding a society of kind of like these young artists, or artists out there, who are using using the technology sometimes, many times, and it, and they're saying, okay, look, I'm a great artist, but they're taking other people's stuff. Like I'm waiting for the day when uh, photographers strike back. I guess a lot of these artists are taking images and just you know and trying to manipulate them or whatever. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That that's another iffy kind of line too. I mean, I understand if you do it in a way and you and pay homage to what the photographer has done, or you do it in a way in which you alter it a lot more than what the photographer did, then maybe you can slide by it. But some some pieces I've seen were really total rips from other like photographers' pieces, and it's like that's a fucking Xerox machine. That's all it is. Yeah, it's a Xerox machine. And you you owe the guy. Who did the actual work? Exactly. Not the person who put the dollar in the Xerox machine. I totally agree with you. That's kind of really sad. So anyhow, I just wanted to point that out to our listeners. If you come across Lost Droid Arts, that's it. You're done. <laughs> wow. 
There you go. <laughs> and we're well past the halfway point of the show where we normally look at uh, our poll of the week. So, Deb Redhead, we had a poll last, actually, read for two weeks. We ran for two weeks, but because it was the holidays, we got a few responses. But what we did is we asked everybody who their favorite genre butler was. And we'll go backwards. Coming in at number three was Sebastian from Black Butler, which if you've never seen the series, you should. It's a very cool series. And then coming in at number two, anybody want to guess? Uh, Gerard Butler. I have a guess oh, for number one, but not for. Oh, I bet it's Jarvis. No, believe it or not, he didn't get any mentions, Sombrarian. Wow. Jarvis? Where Jarvis? Now, coming in at number two was Riff Raff from Rocky Horror. <laughs> oh, cool. That makes sense. Oh, well, it's number one, everyone. Alfred. Alfred, everybody's favorite butler including Batman's favorite butler, was Alfred. Absolutely. And we will try to come up with another poll for you guys. And of course, if you've ever been polled, you know how dangerous that can be. Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> so about a year, year and a half ago, uh, Frankie came on the show to talk about this idea that he had for this Transformers kind of uh, thing that he was he was doing with, with robots, kind of as an homage to the original Transformers series with with new kinds of twists to it called Robot God Akamatsu. And we've watched this project grow and uh, we met James for the first time I guess about a year ago. Yeah. And uh, guys, this thing has just exploded. <laughs> Yay. 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 <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. So well, what's going on in the world of Robot God Akamatsu? Take it away, James. <laughs> well, well, I think last time we spoke was two years ago. That was when we were just starting to launch the webcomic, um, which originally we were going to hopefully have published by a company called Isaki Comics that kind of went under. All of a sudden, they, uh, some strangeness happened there where we didn't hear from the, the uh, what was it, the, the owner or the art director from there, Frankie? Uh, publisher, I believe. Publisher, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we started releasing, Frankie and I had done, I think, up to three issues at that point, so we decided to release 12, that 12 chapter chunks every month or every other month. Um, and then this past spring, um, we got picked up by the publisher Zetabella, and we've been very fortunate because the, the owner there, the publisher there, Robert Simon, has been extremely supportive of the work. Yes, yes. Yeah, and he's, I mean, we, we sent it to him, and there was like a two-week period where we didn't hear anything, and Frankie and I were like, oh, you know, this, you know. I don't think anything's going to happen from this. We just keep plugging away with the story in the webcomic. And then he sent us an email and said, I want to publish this, like, yesterday. And since wow. then, we've got, you know, um, we've been doing well on Amazon. Um, our Facebook page has almost 3,000 likes on it now. And that's just really from us kind of, you know, going to cons and, you know, talking up our, our story. And, you know, yep. people have been, you know, pretty positive about it. You know, and, we, and Frank, you know, we, we learned a lot by, like, putting together the first uh, volume two. You know, that was our that was our first prof really professional... Volume one. one. Volume one, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. Volume one. Um, you know, well, let's talk about that process a little bit, moving it from a webcomic into a published piece. Yep. How, how... I don't understand from my point of view, because I've never had to do it, mm -hmm. what the difficulties are in, in, in doing that. 
know. I think that when me and James first created, I mean, you, look, we're taking it all the way back to 2009 from the client side. Now, what happened is, I guess the thing that, that helps me and James is that we, we, we both work in advertising. Yeah. And so we approached it more in a sense of strategy. Like, we strategized. Like, we sat back. We had a concept. But one of the major things was that we said, look, how can we get it out there in front of people and, you know, in a way that wouldn't cost us a, a lot of money to do, but also it would sort of, you know, get the attention put on this, on this concept. So we, we began to uh, strategize and we came with the idea of doing like guerrilla marketing where we just started seeding. Like we began just going online and just seeding the concept. Now, the, the tough thing for us in the sort of genre that we're doing um, it's hard because a lot of people aren't really, you know, is that man? I don't know. Somebody's I don't know. I'm not hearing it. So. Is it going? Okay. All right. Well, the thing about it is that for us, we had to try to find our fans because we know the fans exist. I mean, clearly there are people that like Godzilla, that like giant robots and Transformers and so on and forth, but you don't really, you know, see a lot, a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff out now. But then, thank goodness, we had IDW, we got yeah. Zilla, and Transformers are doing pretty strong. Yeah. And so we said, you know, we believe we have something, but we need to sort of get it out in front of people. And hopefully, by putting it out there, they'll start coming. And so we just, again, it's all about just the strategizing of it. We knew that we had to get a fan base that kind of remembered the Shogun Warriors and, and old robot shows like that. We had to get a fan base that was familiar with Godzilla. And just kind of pull them all together and say, look, that's what we're kind of doing. Yeah. And once we begin having those people come to it, then we knew we were on the right path. Yeah. And we've had a lot of people like coming forward and doing like fan art to yeah, us, that's the robot. Like there was that gentleman from Italy who did that that gouache painting. Yeah. RGA was. I yeah. can't remember his name right now. But it's just some fantastic stuff people have been doing, and just because they, you know, they like the concept and they like, you know. Frankie's design for RGA, which is, you know, it, it, it's not just, we're not just homaging Shogun Warriors, but we're kind of taking a little bit of all of our favorite things growing up. Kind of putting our own spin on it. And that's always been, that's been the concept from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we want to keep it local too, because, you know, you write about places you know, I think. And I think some of our love for like the city and whatnot comes through in the story too. <clears throat> Well, all the, well, I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say one of the things about it was that when we learned about uh, Pacific Rim coming out, and that was like, what, two years ago? Was it two years, maybe? I and so. we heard about, yeah, we knew that that was, a, we knew that we were on to something. Because, again, you know, people, you know, we, I was reading things online where people were saying, oh, this is going to, you know, people weren't getting behind it a little bit, and they thought it was going to be this dumb little movie, or this experimental yeah. thing, and then... Oh, I was so ecstatic when the numbers started coming out that it was doing as well as it was, especially overseas. It was doing you and I should have gone to go see that together. Oh, what about me? You should have gone with us. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I freaking loved it, but I was really disappointed that the the numbers in the U.S. weren't as good as, as the numbers in Europe and Asia. It's the U.S. The U.S. is, it's, it's funny, like, there's a whole like age group of us who remember Creature Double Feature. Yeah. Who, remember, who remember Force 5 and stuff like that. We remember that. So those are the people that, that definitely put the numbers up for it here in America. But mm -hmm. overall, 
Americans really don't have a strong idea about the genre. I mean, I have friends now, people who never even seen Godzilla or anything, but now they now they use the word kaiju. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of cool. You know, I'm glad that he, that um, that um, Del Toro was able to bring that into the um, American psyche consciousness right there. So maybe with Godzilla, because I mean, man, I don't know if you guys saw the Godzilla commercial. My heart is like, please be successful. I want that to be the most successful movie of 2014. Yeah, because that's going to ensure the fact that possibly our 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 concept. Other people's concepts, like we got some good friends who are doing a book called Kill All Monsters, yep. Mike May and Jason, and Jason Copeland. Yeah. Copeland. We got other people, like I'm working on this game called uh, called uh, Colossal Kaiju Combat. It's, it's going to help these projects get out there, but we need the success. We need the fan base that will support um, this kind of genre. Mm-hmm. So and it's building quite a bit. I mean, you, you have single-handedly you know, built it up through your project. Yes. As well as other projects going on at the same time. Well, that's the thing. We, we and Jimmy are not about trying to be selfish about the whole thing. We believe that we're just one small part of something bigger. You know, Robot God Akamatsu is, is part of a genre. And we accept that. And the thing about it is there's so many people now who are starting their own little projects. And you, we go, hey, look, you know, if, if, you, if you're doing something that's in the line of this genre, we'll put you on our page. Yeah. And so in helping one another, we help ourselves. Yeah, you know, so we're definitely not into that whole like trying to be selfish and hold on to things and I no no that's not what it's about. It's about you know if we can get this, I want to see giant robots and giant monsters. I want to see Robotech. <laughs> I want to see you know Mazinga Z, the, the live action movie. I want to see Grandizer. I want to see mm-hmm. you know Gamera. If they do Godzilla, why not Gamera? I mean, you know that's what I want to see these films done. And the only way it's going to happen. If the fans get behind it, so, I mean, they, and they have to be good. They can't be junk either. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think I part of the problem that the genre has is that, for at least my memories of being a kid, mm-hmm. my like my first exposure to giant robots was the Transformers cartoon, mm-hmm. which, while it's nostalgic and cute now, let's face it, it wasn't groundbreaking in any way uh, and you know what the giant robot show was it was power rangers uh, i loved power rangers but it wasn't good and so i think that's the problem that the genre is having is that for people my age it's gotta overcome Transformers and Power Rangers. Yeah, but you, you can't you can't put Transformers in the same cause, the same place. It's like apples and yeah. oranges. So, I feel like you can put the Michael Bay Transformers movies in the same place with Power Rangers. Well, um, I feel safe doing that. I can agree with that. I can probably agree with that. But the original the Transformers were they were well done, they were well written. They still are. But the, the G, I'm a big fan of more of the G one stuff. Yeah. But they were revolutionary. But again, you got a guy like Michael Bay that's doing it. So yeah, you know, I will say that for the original cartoon, I was like four or five. I didn't catch oh, a lot wow. of it. Okay, yeah. there you go. See, so, yeah, I was I was nine when that came out originally. So I was right at that age where yeah. you know I was you know still watching Creature Double Feature, Super the Godzilla. And this was and Transformers came and kind of filled that you know that bridge because Star Wars: The Last Star Wars: Return of the Jedi had come out the year before, so that was kind of like. Getting, getting to be part of like the childhood past for me, so right, Transformers right. came right at that 
at that moment. And I liked one of the things I liked about Transformers is that the robots were each living beings. They were each their own character. You know, they had, you know, quirks and, and, and different powers and everything. And I think that's why I think that's why I like Transformers a bit more than, you know, the typical giant robot anime because of their, you know, their living beings and their characters. And see, and see, I, I'm going further back, showing my age, where I remember cat robots where human beings piloted the robots. And for me, Mazinga Z, Mazinga Z is a good example of the guy who I love, who's Japan, in my opinion, with Japan's uh, Jack Kirby, was Gonage, yeah. who took this concept that was based on a Western philosophy. I mean, well, a Western, not philosophy, but a Western kind of viewpoint, where if you look at Mazinga Z, he's actually Superman. Yeah. He's actually, you know, Koji Kabuto is Clark Kent. And he climbs into the head of Mazinga Z, which is Superman. <laughs> but I mean, and what they did that was so different was that human beings piloted these robots against these either mad scientists or some alien invasion to protect humanity. So it's still, it, 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 still, it still had a part of that superhero mytho that I love, but now there's these big giant machines and they're fighting to save the world. So yeah, so I'm part of that kind of that growing up where those kind of storylines were there. It was kind of cut and dry too. It was kind of like you know, good guys versus bad guys. Yeah, you know? yeah. The Mazinga Z was really black and white in that respect. You know, it was always we're the good guys. Here's the bad guys. Yeah. Now we're going to fight it out. We know we're going to win, but it's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, now there, there are subgenres of it. They just I don't know. I get well, you, you know, the whole Michael Bay thing. Well, well, you know what the biggest problem I have with a lot of uh, anime, uh, especially the anime robots now, and me and James have talked about it. I, I have the issue with children, like little children, piloting these robots. I have the issue with them doing a lot of sexual stuff. It's like this. It's like the sexual in little children is like probably seventy-five percent oh, of, of the show, yeah. and twenty-five percent maybe for the plot. It's not a story. And that's the thing that troubled me because it was like when I grew up, you know, most of the characters look like they either were in their, their mid twenties, yeah. uh, clearly were older than like a ten year old. And if they and if they did have any yeah. sexual stuff, it wasn't as blatant. It wasn't like they they, they weren't they weren't just trying to put it out there as a main thing. They actually had a story. Characters would die, characters would live or die, they had adventures, you know, it was things like that. Like I mean, you can look at some of the old shows like, you know, Star Blazers. Uh, uh, Battleship, um, uh, was it? Battleship Yamato. I mean, you know, things like that. They have story. You can you you can invest in it. Not only you look at some of the stuff, and it's kind of like I don't even know what I'm investing in. I mean, I'm watching children <laughs> and kids, a pseudo children. What I call the pseudo children, where you have the the, the, the boy who is a, a supposedly the, the pilot of this robot, and he's very he can't seem to connect with young girls. Or whatever, but when he gets into that robot boy, he's like this ultimate warrior. And then you have the young girls who are pseudo looking like they're these enhanced women, but they're still like little girls. <laughs> and it's like, come on, man. You know, I just, for me, I'm like, let's just, I just want to see a straight out story. The anime right. culture has, has really stratified itself to the point where <clears throat> you don't know what you're getting anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, which is, Kind of like, you know, projects like yours, where it's very straightforward and you do know what you're getting, mm -hmm. uh, and if that's what you're looking for, are amazing. I, I want to get back to uh, the new trade paperback that's, that's uh, sitting on Amazon now. Yep. Uh, holy crap, does that thing just pop at you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. There you go, James. James is the man. His artwork is his artwork has um, garnered him some serious fans and stuff. And and I tell you, absolutely, my God. <laughs> what is it that you like about his art? Um, the way it just pops. You know, it's just so clean and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just uh, 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 so. Simplistic and yet, it's really precise. Yeah, you know, it's that diver- diversity of it, it looks simple, but you know damn well it isn't. I got it. And the more you get into it, the more you realize it. I mean, I sat there and I think I stared at one of those pages, and it may have had something to do with the medication I was on. But <laughs> I, I stared at one of those pages for like fifteen minutes, just finding little things in it, just going, "Holy shit, this is really cool." Oh, and it, thank you. you know, it just shows a, a great care and 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 uh, and passion for for what it is that you're doing with this. It's really really beautiful. Now, are you, are you talking about the interior or the cover? God, the cover first of all. Cover. I mean, okay, the cover. Okay. Yeah. I told James that when I look at his work, there's a propaganda feel to it. Yeah, yes, it's, it's not bad. I love it. It's like the old guy. It's like you remember, like the, the best scene of Captain America. Like I love Captain America the movie, but the best scene, and you know where that you, you guys know I'm heading yep. is the end credits. Mm-hmm. Yes, the end credits when they start showing all the that wonderful World War Two propaganda yep. posters. It's beautiful and powerful and striking. And I told James, I said, when I look at James' work, it's that same kind of feeling. It's just like wow. It's like. And you just that, that, that red or black always gets your eye like that. So I mean, you know, I just it's there's a difference between looking in the, in the web comic and then going out to the straight paperback. There's a huge difference in yeah, and I'm not sure how to describe what the difference is. Frankie's interior, like you know, Frankie's interior artwork is—it's so detailed. There's there's so much uh, in each panel, and I know Frankie and I kind of set out from the beginning to kind of put little Easter eggs um, in each chapter. And my my favorite one is um, there's a scene right before uh, Doctor Washington and Ken they see that half of a necro beast that came through the portal. Um, There's one scientist, you know kind of cleaning away these artifacts that they dug up from Atlantis. And in the background, you see the outline of these muddy, you know, the original Shogun Warriors on his shelf. Like, he dug out those artifacts from Atlantis. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. for us, that was kind of like us saying, like, this is kind of where we're mining from. You know? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of Easter eggs in there. Yeah. I just haven't said it, I haven't said it, but I put a lot of um, homage pieces. I mean, there's a lot sure. of stuff. And, and I will continue. I learned a lot. I mean, I've been working on Volume 2 now. Um, I learned a lot from this first book. Um, I, I know that um, certain things I want to change up a little bit. Um, but for me, like I've always told people, I said, I'm heavily influenced. The three artists that really influenced me a lot was Jack Kirby, um, John Byrne, and um, Herb Trippy. Yeah. What, what a sad bunch of artists you've had. And to me, it's like, you know, um, in the back of my head, I'm always sort of thinking. I love I loved how... Well, Irv Trumpy was just incredible in, his, in the way he laid out characters for the Children of Warriors and Godzilla. But John Byrne is still, I want to capture his his ability to, like, the camera. 
Like, you know, you know, I remember some of the old, like some of the Fantastic Fours that he did, where there was one scene where the thing got punched, and he got, and he showed, he showed the view of the buildings, and him being shot through the thing. And he ends up, he ends up landing in cars, but then you see the whole track of the punch. Like, the camera's right there with him as he's trapping. And so that kind of stuff inspires me. I go, you know, what can I do that can be on that level? You know, so yeah, in the back of my head, like, I'm still, you know, I'm still crafting on, on how I want to achieve that kind of feel and look. Because I, I honestly feel that in some cases, a lot of books, they don't they don't have that. There's some, I mean, clearly there are some tremendous artists out there. So I'm not hating on uh, artists and stuff like that. But again, like, for me, I'm just very old school. I'm a very old school um, kind of artist. I like, I like a lot of simplistic stuff. Just straight out layouts, you know, layouts and trying to get the scene out there and really trying to expand upon the story that the writer has laid out. Yep. So... And it's the, the thing with Frank and I, too, is that we know each other for so long now um, that we're, we're totally comfortable giving each other ideas and feedback, and, you know, it's just been, you know, Frankie's basically the uh, the older brother I never had, so... Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> well, if Robots is anything like you want to read, you want to check out, the Kindle version and the uh, graphic novel version are both available on Amazon. And also on iTunes, too, I think. Yep, they just got released on iTunes this past week, I believe. Very cool. And there's also a hardcover edition of the book oh, as well um, that Frankie did uh, a very slick cover for. And where's that available? It's also available on Amazon. Cool. And we're going to have the links for you there. The book is Robot God Akamatsu, Volume 1, the graphic novel. James Biggie, Frankie B. Washington. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for having us again. It was a pleasure. It was was once again an amazing time. Kriana, my darling, what's happening in the next couple of weeks? She's muted and doesn't know it. (laughs) Oh, damn it. You are. I said, next week, Aaron Wood joins us to share his industrial design propaganda art. On the 25th, legendary artist Griffin S. Dome, have you gotten your prints yet? I have gotten my prints, Griffin. You are off the hook. He is off the hook. Um, (laughs) On on February 1st, Jay Moores um, is going to talk about his new comic series, A Planet's Cry. And on February 8th, J.M. Thakar discusses his monthly book, Barcode. Make the calls. There you go. There we go. <laughs> I, I forgot what I was doing. So I'm tired. It's late. I can't, I can't believe the time flew by so far. I know. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, and Rhode Island Comic Con, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD holder folk at robwatsonline.com. Doom! I want to thank Frankie and James for joining us tonight. And Robot God Akamatsu, we can't wait for more. You can check it out. Do it. I want to thank our cast. Welcome to the new year from the Veertime Vortex. Our soundboard sweetheart, Kriana, and Grandma Girl Zombrillion. Thank you, ladies. Yeah, no one's articulate right now. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Run the four color vault of comics. Great thanks to the dead redhead. Giant monsters! Yahoo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
This is Dom saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> That sounds good. That sounds perfect.